about something that uh, is slightly bit disconnected, but we'll get more about that in the, in the presentation. I'll just start with a quote from, from Daniel Priestley. Uh, our best thinking five years ago is our baggage today. So we have to really sort of look at what is happening now okay, and reevaluate. And so to make sure that we're all on the same page, I'm going to start with some definitions because uh, things can be different to, to each of us, but it's good if we, if we get the definitions. And my favorite definition of design is by Master Paul Rand. Okay. Design is the method of putting form and content together. He starts from art. So we have to remember that design begins, it's not something on its own. It begins from art. It came from art. Everything we're doing, uh, uh, product design, is company culture. So there, we, we must always remember the link. Don't forget that there's a link in the arts, and a lot of the, uh, so a lot of the solutions we're looking for in design can be found in the arts. Traditionally, uh, designers have always looked to the arts for inspiration. Arts has always been ahead. It's only in the recent, let's say, couple of decades where we have a, a fusion of movements, a fusion of movements that things have become more interchangeable and more disciplinary. And uh, just, just a couple of uh, definitions of design education. Theory and application, design of product services and environments. Okay, so uh, about design education, uh, we're we are talking about a kind of, of, of uh, teaching that has a theoretical background, of course, but also uh, when we're teaching design, we're talking about the craft. We're talking about the doing. There is uh, more doing and, and, and a small percentage of, of theory. So I just wanted to uh, get around UK art schools and international art schools uh, just to give you a little bit of a, uh, of a journey. Yeah. How was design taught? So how did one become a painter? Uh, in the uh, 1600s. They just went to a painter and they started grinding their, their colors. Yeah. And about five or six, seven years later, they were fully fledged painters. It was an apprenticeship. It was a, a real, a genuine apprenticeship. So design education started in the apprenticeships and in the guilds. But in order to uh, become a, a painter, a furniture maker, Sculptor, one would always find a master to, 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 learn, to, learn, to learn from. And um, of course, there's a journey of uh, how design education has changed. Uh, and there are some stages, for example, uh, mass production, you know, 
the also and also the introduction of uh, color color uh, lithography and color movable type, and to just put certain schools that really influenced uh, design education, and of course there are many 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 other schools, yeah, there are hundreds of amazing schools that have influenced design education, but. Uh, I, 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 put, I put some here. Uh, I personally, mm, I'm very much inspired by John Ruskin and his principles. Last year, we celebrated 200 years from his birth, and I, I feel that he is a very, very much contemporary uh, philosopher that we need to be looking at in terms of uh, design, design education. It's, it almost seems to me that the arts and crafts and the pre-Raphaelite movement is more relevant today than at the time it was written. It was all, it's almost for me, it has been written for today. Uh, so, there, there has been a continuation of design education uh, methodology uh, and, and practice. It's, it's almost been uh, very, very similar until the, the introduction of, of, of desktop publishing. Okay, so around the 80s, uh, we were able to create uh, publishing and typography and drawings on the computer. And at, at that time, it was something fantastic, and it is something fantastic. Uh, but at the time, people didn't know what to do with that. So we've got uh, PageMaker Quark or Illustrator, and at the same time, a lot of uh, presses, a lot of movable type, hot metal type, were just binned or recycled. The art colleges started throwing away uh, the, the older methodology and just concentrating on the digital. And it's only recently that we are going back toward the synthesis of that. So it's only recently that we are reappreciating and redefining hot metal type, movable type, uh, litho, screen printing, all the traditional methodologies that we need to be combined with digital. Uh, so for me, the dialogue between uh, the analog and the digital is, is a fundamental. And it's where uh, it's where it's, it's where it's at. But in order to use both, in order to use both, uh, we have uh, we need to be teaching skills and abilities. Okay, and this is something, of course, quite quite challenging in this generation of very short attention spans. But at the same time, we need to be having skills and abilities that will carry students and graduates through. And, and so they have something to trade, something to, an ability to be able to be, to, to exchange for employment. So traditionally, in, to create, to, to talk about one of the, one of the challenges, because they were talking many, about many challenges, um, in, in, the, in the teaching side, there were three stakeholders. Okay, you had the art design historians, the technicians, and the arts and the designers that were teaching. 
So students were learning from three different kinds of educators. In fact, many times technicians could offer advice that moved somebody much more forward than anybody else. I've experienced that personally and it's through technicians that a lot of the really practical uh, application of design uh, has been traditionally taught. Now, in certain countries, uh, we saw that technicians were uh, made redundant from our schools. And arts and designers had to be forced to move to more uh, theoretical scientific uh, area, being judged by uh, more theoretical and scientific criteria rather than the criteria of art and design schools, art and design education. So this is one of the areas that we need to look at okay, as far as design education is concerned. Uh, we need to recreate the balance there. This is probably the most important slide um, in regard to policy. Okay, and how can policy be? Uh, what are the areas that we need to be looking at for policy? So uh, we're looking at three stages of the student journey. We're looking at the, the stages before the art school uh, preparation of the student, of the candidate, the selection process, which is extremely important, and that holds many, many keys. And, and the education from early years, okay, because for me, most of the problems that we are facing as educators at the, at the higher education university level are to be found in the early years. So we need to look at that journey uh, from the early years into uh, how the, the, the students reach stage and how they are selected. And the selection process is something very key, which we'll be talking about a bit later on, about certain schools that have a very lax selection process and other schools that have a very strict selection process. And how does that change things? Okay. Now, during their education, uh, policy can look at curriculum, teaching and learning, Apprenticeships, resources. Art and design education is something very expensive. It's disproportionately expensive to any other kind of education because usually in many subjects you have a great number of students in a room and it's a lecture-based process, whereas the process of design education is a one-to-one -one process with a lot of physical uh, material like cameras, printmaking areas, photography areas, studios. Monitors. It's it's quite expensive, and in the in the recent in the recent present, not this, the resources um, has become a problem. And then we look at the stage that's after the art school, uh, employability, which is of course needs to be looked at. Employability, we need to look at you know, in the other, all the other stages, the trajectory of the students and transferable skills. Uh, one of my students, for example, after some years, uh, was able to uh, design the most successful pub at the north of England. So 
but he would use his design skills. It is very, very important that certain uh, students that have gone through the design education process, if they have really taken it seriously, they can use it to design their life in a, in a very uh, specific way. So, for those, for those that want to, of us that, of course, we want to look at more in, in, in terms of policy, I would really recommend that we look at these three areas, as if that's where the keys are to find solutions policy on design education. So, my first challenge, I started teaching uh, about, about 11 years ago, um, and very, very shortly I realized that even though uh, my students and I were looking at the same piece of design, we were not seeing the same piece of design. And so, uh, my investigation started, uh, and I remembered a very specific kind of advanced observation drawing I was taught as a student, and that was something that I put quite a bit of emphasis on, uh, with certain limitations, of course, that I wasn't always able to, to hold the class. So, again, looking at the scene in design education. Another challenge is that in many countries, uh, contact time is about a fifth of what it used to be. Design education traditionally was a 95 plus process. It was like going to work. You were studying and working for a full day or more. And now in many, in many art schools around the world, the universities, contact time has been reduced uh, greatly. And there are questions of, of how that can be corrected, how that can be bridged. It varies greatly, and that's why design education is something that varies greatly from country to country. Uh, certain countries have amazing schools, and we need to look at what makes these schools amazing. It's usually contact time and certain other things that we'll be talking about further on. So, uh, this is going to, I'm going to present some, some uh, polarization, some uh, polar opposites, so I don't want anybody to get upset. <laughs> but it's just for the sake of discussion. Okay, and this is something that. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the two extremes, if you like. The two extremes, um, we have schools that come from more of a private uh, area. And because they've come from a private perspective, they have to water down their selection criteria and take on more students. Okay, and what that produces. And we have the public schools in many countries, the free schools, uh, have a very strict selection process. And what that produces. And, but each in each of the two, let's say, extremes, there are strengths and weaknesses. 
example, in many government schools around the world, which are completely free, um, lecturers there have not had any, any experience in real life. So in that way, they cannot help the students very much. They can give fantastic teaching from art and drawing and techniques and blah, 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 okay. But they cannot help students from an employability perspective. Uh, on the, the, and also, there is, a, there is a very rigid selection process for the staff. And also, that means that not all, not the best designers go to the government school. The best designers tend to be in the private school. So you have this, um, you have this paradox that the best, the best uh, students rarely get to see the best teachers because the best students have been selected from a very strict selection process in the government school. But usually the best teachers they go in the private school because they're allowed to have more freedom. They're allowed to uh, exercise their their. Their employment, their, their identity as designers. So um, you have paradoxes. Also, the government schools do have uh, access to greater funding. They're more flexible. They can organize more events. But again, there are limitations in each method, and there's an interesting middle ground uh, that certain countries have. Uh, again, this is another uh, area that needs to be looked at. So, however, in my experience, from both schools, the best students always, always come out. The 10% always comes out. So, no matter what the education system, if somebody wants to learn, because design education ultimately is self-teaching, um, they do. And So, the students take responsibility for their learning, do really well, but what happens with the other 90%? Are we prepared to continue with this? Or, should all graduates be at a certain level? And this is where, uh, I can take it to you if you want, it's, it's an interesting area, we don't really talk. Uh, before I give you my, some of my recommendations, Anybody want to talk about this? Or any of the other issues that have been raised so far? Hi, um, I always have something to say. If I have something to say, I'll say it. Um, when I was in Germany, I had my agency, and I had the good fortune of working with the um, Heinrich Heine University, uh, specifically in marketing and design. Um, the professor I worked with was a wonderful character, very amicable, a great teacher, but he had his limitations. The university is funded well, and I noticed in the workshops we were doing within my own uh, office's agency, <clears throat> the frustration of the students. And my take on it was that the systems you're showing are self-perpetuating. The students were continually trying to break out of the mold that the professor was putting them in. And I was encouraging him to break out, and he was encouraging me to help him break out because he realized he himself was in 
the zoo, if you like, Brilliant. in his cage. Um, so I think that is a topic that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. The self perpetuating. Yeah.
But on the other hand, uh, after the Bologna um, system, uh, we made uh, quite a, a clear distinction between uh, a bachelor and a master. And uh, at the bachelor level, what you are saying uh, would work much better because uh, we need to instruct practitioners. But uh, if, we, if we don't have uh, a, the contribution of uh, the, those people that you say they have never touched the, the practice of design, yes, right, but uh, if we don't have a contribution that uh, supports uh, 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 not sure, uh, the reflective uh, practice, for instance, if we don't have uh, anything that supports a uh, theoretical framing, uh, or even uh, the framing uh, of, uh, the, you know, framing the context uh, where the context could be social and so on, uh, attaching to social studies, anthropology, ethnography. Absolutely, uh, it's a tripartite. Uh, my slide yeah. was a tripartite. Theory, yeah. theory, theory, theoreticians, designers, and, and, and technicians. Yes, it's a tripartite. Everybody's needed. Yeah, everybody's needed. Your conclusion is, I'm, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, um, are mostly on the art uh, side, probably no, because we want to stress yeah. that we are losing that side. But uh, yes. but uh, it is very important because otherwise uh, absolutely we are we are instead of uh, training masters, we are training still the drawing people in design studios. So we want to have uh, for the teams, for instance, we we, we have been uh, talking about in this uh, in this conference, uh, a, an art practitioner would probably have problems. Managing those things, or at least at least being convincing mm -hmm. about the, the validity of those things. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I, I'm readdressing the balance, if you like. Yeah. So I absolutely agree with you. Uh, however, it, it, it's, it's a broad brush. What I've shown is a very broad brush. It's yeah. very specific from country to country. It changes greatly. Uh, Master process, the PhD process is changed greatly. For example, in, in, in Slovenia, uh, the, the PhD process is very, very practical. But in other countries, the PhD process is very theoretical. In America, you don't have PhDs, you have uh, uh, MFAs. Yeah. So it, 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 it changes dramatically from country, from country to country. And that's another thing that's quite unique about design education. That is, it doesn't exist in any other practice so much in, in that great degree, how much it varies. Uh, there's no real consensus. So, it's a, what I've said is a broad brush. Uh, if you want to go more specific, then we have to talk about a specific country. But even teaching methodology, of course. Is a, uh, I, I, I've been educated in an architecture school, and there was no methodology. I, just, I was taught by imitation. Inspiration. Look at uh, the, you know Otto Wagner, eh? and then do the same, or you know do similar things. Uh, and when and, and I had a problem that when talking with some of my teachers, some of which are quite well known, uh, and they heard about uh, that I was then interested in methodology, they jumped back on the chair and said, "Why do you need the methodology in design?" So it, it, it is still a problem to say. That design, uh, it's still, still a problem in some schools to say that design meet, and art, especially art, needs methodology. There is no method for art, it's inspiration, they say. I, I may not agree with this, I, I do not agree with this.
Inspiration exists, but it must find you working. It must find you working. It's about the work. And you develop your own logic in the work. But of course you need a methodology. But you can teach methodology. Of course you can. Of course you can. Of course you can. But it's also up to the... It's kind of a self-learning app. a certain point onwards. It's a self-learning. from one of our partners writing me on Skype. Oh, really? uh, so Grazia Concilio from Politecnico uh, di Milano. Uh, she's uh, saying that, uh, can somebody add that the universities are working on the third mission? That uh, this thing is uh, uh, profoundly uh, modifying the profile, not, not only of the, uh, of the teachers, but also of the activities of all the universities. And we are uh, working, we are innovating the entire strategy of the didactics. Sorry, what is the question? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the impact on the, on the third mission of the strategies. No, on the third mission. Yeah. The third mission changes the picture and it makes the university more grown to a new way of interfacing with the industry, the private sector. Really? So it's a kind of a comment. Yeah, exactly. It's a kind of a comment. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I have, uh, I have one myself. Um, it, it, while we were speaking, it, it also came to my mind the, the Bologna process. I think that part of what you reported about, uh, okay, I must confess I'm not an expert uh, at all. Uh, but I have some indirect knowledge of the Bologna process and the details of the process. But it is my impression that the points, some of the points that you are uh, raising belong to a broader issue, that of the disconnection between education and the real world, the world of professions, the world of industry, the world of technology that runs fast, and for example, in Italy, but also in other industrialized countries, we feel, uh, in terms of lack of skills that are demanded by uh, industry and not supplied by any level of education, not only tertiary education, but also secondary education. And in fact, one of the most recent initiatives at European level, and also in Italy, for example, is uh, an attempt at integrating uh, short uh, internships within the secondary school curricula with the purpose of training the, the, young, the youngest generations in, in getting at least a flavor uh, of what uh, working for real means. Yeah. But uh, this is one thing. So uh, what, what you said about, uh, okay, let's uh, bring closer to reality, some of the high-level uh, or highly-educated or challenged to become highly-educated designers, for me, it is part of this broader thing. Uh, with an extra comment, that is my, my contribution to this talk, this kind of disconnect between education and profession 
hides another explanation that is related to the fact that in the old good times before globalization, on average, the industrialized countries especially could uh, be fulfilled with the um, skills of the people coming out of secondary education. Because those were enough for the old model of industrial setup, of factory of, of the past, instead of factory of the future. So at, at that time, it was easier to say, okay, 